should have been a lumberman in California. You'd have made an uncommon good logger, chipmunk. And you know you're a dashed bad politician. When questioned about himself, he became reticent, as the newspapers say. I doubt if I'm much good at any job, he confessed, except to ginger up my friends. Anyhow, I'm getting out of this hole, paired for the rest of the session with a chap who has lockjaw. I'm off to stretch my legs and get back my sense of proportion. Someone asked him where he was going, and was told, Venezuela, to buy government bonds and look for birds' nests. Nobody took Tommy seriously, so his guests did not trouble to bid him the kind of farewell a prolonged journey would demand. But when the others had gone, and we were sitting in the little back smoking-room on the first floor, he became solemn. Portentously solemn, for he wrinkled up his brows and dropped his jaw in the way he had when he fancied he was in earnest. "'I've taken on a queer job, Leithen,' he said, "'and I want you to hear about it. "'None of my family know, "'and I'd like to leave someone behind me "'who could get onto my tracks if things got troublesome.' "'I braced myself for some preposterous confidence, "'for I was experienced in Tommy's vagaries. "'But I owned to being surprised when he asked me "'if I remembered Pitt Heron.' I remembered Pitt Heron very well. He had been at Oxford with me, but he was no great friend of mine, though for about two years Tommy and he had been inseparable. He had had a prodigious reputation for cleverness, with everybody but the college authorities, and used to spend his vacations doing mad things in the Alps and the Balkans, and writing about them in the Hapley Press. He was enormously rich, cotton mills and Liverpool ground rents, and, being without a father, did pretty much what his fantastic taste dictated. He was rather a hero for a bit after he came down, for he'd made some wild journey in the neighbourhood of Afghanistan, and written an exciting book about it. Then he married a pretty cousin of Tommy's, who happened to be the only person that ever captured my stony heart, and settled in London. I did not go to their house, and soon I found that very few of his friends saw much of him either. His travels and magazine articles suddenly stopped, and I put it down to the common course of successful domesticity. Apparently, I was wrong. Charles Pitt Heron, said Tommy, is blowing up for a most thundering mess. I asked what kind of mess, and Tommy said he didn't know. That's the mischief of it. You remember the wild beggar he used to be, always off on the spree to the mountains of the moon or somewhere? Well, he's been damping down his fires lately and trying to behave like a respectable citizen, but God knows what he's been thinking. I go a good deal to Portman Square, and all last year he's been getting queerer. Questions as to the nature of the queerness only elicited the fact that Pitt Heron had taken to science with some enthusiasm. He's got a laboratory at the back of the house. Used to be the billiard room, where he works away half the night. And, Lord, the crew you meet there. Every kind of heathen. Chinese and Turks and long-haired chaps from Russia and fat Germans. 
I've several times blundered into the push. They've all got an odd secretive air about them, and Charlie's becoming like them. He won't answer a plain question or look you straight in the face. Ethel sees it too, and she's often talked to me about it. I said I saw no harm in such a hobby. I do, said Tommy grimly. Anyhow, the fellow's bolted. What on earth? I began, but was cut short. Bolted, without a word to a mortal soul. He told Ethel he'd be home for luncheon yesterday and never came. His man knew nothing about him, hadn't packed for him or anything, but he found he'd stuffed some things into a kit bag and gone out by the back through the mews. Ethel was in terrible straits and sent for me, and I ranged all yesterday afternoon like a wolf on the scent. I found he'd drawn a biggish sum in.